Big wins at the VMAs. Germany's return to live shutdown. And production crews versus COVID. That showbiz, baby. Welcome to episode 14 of That Showbiz Baby Podcast, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Colin McKay, with my co-host, Joseph Wazileski. Hello. Joe, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good. It's been a week, man. It's, it's literally been a week since yeah. the last episode as well. That's perfect. <laughs> Which means it's been a week since we reminded you about our socials. Yep. So, Joe, let's remind them every week as we do. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at showbizbabypod. Facebook and Instagram at That Showbiz Baby Podcast or email us That Showbiz Baby Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I want to apologize. I don't mean to be that lazy with my transitions into socials, but <laughs> it was a little too perfect. Um, yeah, we got to. And this week's show is very like flowy together. So it's even better than Ooh, that. Flowy. So maybe, maybe I can make up for that flow mistake with these other flow things i'm about to do so it's being very flow right flow, now. uh progressive um <laughs> anyway so let's talk about our first story uh i did i researched a story about this live nation concert in germany which they referred to as the return to live but it has been canceled um so this is kind of a big story because this is one of the bigger events that was trying to work with covid uh kind of you know just I don't want to say precautions. It, yeah, stuff? but like, it was like it is precautions, but some of them are kind of strange. Like there's a line to it. They were, you'll see what I'm talking about. But anyway, this return to live concert was supposed to be uh, next week in Dusseldorf, Germany, and it was going to feature Brian Adams as the headliner. But it has been postponed due to a rise in coronavirus cases. Um, it says it's been postponed, but I keep seeing that it's been canceled. So just wishy washy on that. But apparently Adams was the headliner and he was going to be with the boss hoss sarah connor ria garvey and michael mittermeyer sorry if i did pronounce that wrong but there were going to be twelve thousand people here <laughs> at that show and it was going to be on september 4th two days from when we're recording this in the murker spile arena um the quote the show was billed as a celebration of the return to live music at major venues in germany but a spike in virus cases and a sub, sub wow subsequential is what i wanted to say subsequential decision by chancellor angela merker to extend the ban on large-scale public events to 2021 has spoiled those plans for now so they can't do it like they legally can't do it but the arena said it in a strange way they go despite a comprehensive health hygiene and safety program organizers felt compelled to cancel the event in the view of the increasing numbers of infections and subsequential cap cap Oh, capacity man. i'm just rushing through this today <laughs> capacity restrictions that were imposed on the event and just as awkward as me reading it the arena's saying oh yeah we felt like we need to cancel it but i'm like no the government told you you can't <laughs> yeah which is very different and so uh, basically i went back to another billboard article which will also be linked in the description as we always do and here are kind of the precautions they were trying to do so they would have had concert goers seated and socially distanced 1.5 meters apart which is about five feet for the americans and then uh basically everybody had to wear masks and alcohol would be prohibited around the stadium mm -hmm. the organizers 
we're not requiring that the attendees be tested for COVID prior to arriving at the event. Instead, Live Nation, who's the promoter, would rely on a mix of contact tracing and comprehensive hygiene measures to ensure the event doesn't create a coronavirus hotspot. According, I love this, according to a lengthy fact sheet sent to Billboard. <laughs> uh, like the guy's like really sarcastic. I was like, oh, like so, I had to read this shit. Yeah, <laughs> and so anyway, apparently the data Live Nation gathered would only have been kept for a month and then given only to proper authorities upon request. So, again, we're talking about data restrictions, which we've mentioned previously with these concerts. Mm -hmm. Very important. But the event would have been shorter, and it would have had very short sets, and would have been about 7.30 to 11 p.m. would have been it. And, again, there's like five people performing at it, so it was short. Uh, There would have been, like, no breaks in between the event, only short set changes. And then the performers were going to ask the people to stay seated, except you could go to the bathroom. Um, And then there would be no food sold in the stands and fans can bring, or fans could purchase packaged food from drinks from runners. So like you couldn't buy like, you know, the regular hot dog or whatever from a stand. You would get like, I I don't know why in my head, I imagine they would get a Lunchable or something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wait, so like, were you, would you be seated and then like, like almost like a waiter would come up. And so then... I would imagine from what I, from what it seems like, yeah, it would have been kind of like if you've been to like a baseball game or, or a like a fancy game. movie theater, right? Yeah. Where they like walk up, but I don't know if it would have been more of like a waiter or if it would have been like some guy walking around with prepackaged food, kind of like a baseball game is what I'm saying. <laughs> Get <And> your Lunchables. <laughs> yeah. Lunchables. Yeah. Lunchables, you know? And so the mask would have been mandatory and had to be worn properly the entire time. And then they wouldn't admit it anybody with no masks, but there were no masks provided. So you would have, it would really sucked if you left your mask at home and yeah. you got you got in the car and you were like, Oh God, we got to turn around or find a mask somewhere. So the event sold 7,000 tickets out of the 12,000 tickets again, showing clearly there's such a big demand for these concerts. Uh, but the tickets are going to be refunded, including the fees. Again, that shows a lot more about being canceled than pro- postponed. So I, I don't know. I keep getting like a weird thing about it. Yeah. So uh, basically, seems like they were really hoping it was postponed, but it's canceled. Yeah. When they announced it on August 7th, again, they've said this was going to signal the end of the five month shutdown of large scale public events in Germany. Uh, and it's definitely not. It's yet. definitely not. So <laughs> as Carl Joseph Lahnmann uh, who is a health expert from Germany said he called the concert irresponsible in the view and a complex infection situ- situation. <laughs> uh, the arena statement this week alluded to concerns from the state government and said that the opposing positions could not be bridged. Again, it there's no bridging. They said no. And so you can't <laughs> have the show. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I get it. I'm sure they sent representatives and were like, all these people want this concert. We're doing it safely or whatever. But like, this is one of the situations where it's like, they have all the power. Like you are just petitioning. Please don't do this. <laughs> it's like, it's like a breakup where the other party's like, they got dumped, but they're like, Oh, it was a mutual, it was thing. A mutual thing. <laughs> no, like, you got dumped, buddy. It's kind of <laughs> like what keeps, I keep seeing all the arena statements are like, yeah, the state government, we just couldn't come together. And like everything else I see is like, no, she was just like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously it's a health crisis, right? I mean, like there, that's too many people like that's, that's, 
honestly like too many people to have in like one place and i feel like even in germany where it's better than it is here it's still you know happening so and so like i i thought the most interesting thing is kind of what they were going to try to do because as we've discussed on this podcast a lot there's a lot of differing opinions versus cost versus safety and stuff like that about what exactly do you have to implement on these concerts other than like what's state mandated yeah uh I mean, well, who was really pushing for it? You know, like that's what I want to know. Is it Live Nation that was really pushing, or was it like almost like a subsidiary of Live Nation? Or was it just like, oh, we kind of just have to do this? Yeah, was the venue like? I mean, there's there's a couple of things of like someone was definitely more invested in this show happening than other people. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would have been really weird. uh, But like the show is going to be really short. Uh, Apparently, as I'm reading, oh, it's a soccer stadium. Yeah, well, it's it's an arena? arena. Um, okay so like you can have a lot of things in arena just like you know it has a very moving kind of part situation to it but it did hold a lot of soccer stuff but the only reason i'm looking this up and joe's reading it off is that the capacity of the arena is fifty four thousand. So okay they so going, they would have had they were going down distance. to twelve thousand. yeah they would have had distancing in there so i guess that's right apparently know. from what i was reading also brian adams was going to play but he was going to play acoustic with no band that sounds like terrible i'm I'm not gonna lie like i would not pay like a bunch of money to see that right well i don't know i haven't i mean he probably he's probably great with an acoustic like it's probably great but if you're going to a concert i want it to be like a concert an experience you know like full band experience yeah i i've you know at the same time i'm not a health official but clearly there was some decision that had to be made um if it was you know, going to be canceled or postponed again, it keeps going wishy-washy on it. I'm 90% sure it's canceled since they're refunding everything and doing all that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it kind of, you know, I think a lot of people had a lot of hope that this could be like, Oh, it's going to work well. And then we're going to have like weird concerts return, but at least we'll have concerts, you know? Yeah. But no, I mean, the government's just like, it's not a good time still. Um, uh, I'd also like to point out for those of you wondering how Brian Adams even got to Germany being as there's a travel ban, he's Canadian. <laughs> so oh, fair enough. So, so no travel like, ban for them. <laughs> yeah. They were like, here, come on through, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So like in Germany, I, I mean, obviously, I can't do a one-to-one comparison because the amount of people and stuff like that and the movement is way different, but has been doing, and especially Europe, has been doing better than the United States objectively in containing the virus. So even here, it's like kind of strange, you know? I mean, it like if you have hope in America that these stadiums and arenas are going to come back, it's just like, oh, these people are just like not allowing it even in safe safer countries now the administration here and the local governments where you live are like whatever we'll do it anyway that's a different story but i think it's you know something important to say is that these countries that have kind of you know objectively handled the virus better are not opening up stuff yeah and so i i just thought it was like it's very sad to be honest with you just be like I, especially if you were like working on this and it's like, this is the return to live. We're going to have shows again. And they're literally billing it as like, this is the return. And then it's like, it's canceled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so talking about that in our little hometown of Nashville, we also have another venue trying to open up right now. And Joe researched this more than me. So Joe, tell me what's happening here in Nash. Yeah. So the historical Ryman auditorium is uh, starting to welcome in-person audiences starting this week. 
Um, they're going to be opening their doors to the public since the beginning of the lockdown in Nashville, Tennessee. The venue is allowing 125 ticketed guests to attend a concert by Scotty McCreary for their Live at the Ryman series. Um, and they've apparently been working a lot with the Nashville Public Health Department as well as Vanderbilt, uh, which if you didn't know, Vanderbilt's based in Nashville as well, um, in order to basically uh see if it's okay to do and like the safety precautions they would have to follow and all that stuff um what they're saying is that the live at ryman um which is basically a series that they're putting on is is a hybrid concert model that's like created by opry entertainment which is the owner of the ryman um, and it's designed to allow fans back to live concerts as well as adding live streams for the shows for fans who want to stay at home as well so Opry Entertainment owns the Ryman. They've been working with Vanderbilt and the local health department since the live shows were shut down. During the pandemic, the Ryman ran 20 weeks of no audience shows with no issues and stated that they are confident that they would be able to safely handle the attended shows that they comply with uh, as they comply with Nashville's public health department, uh, which to me, I'm kind of like, well, yeah, you ran 20 weeks of no audience shows with no issues because there was no audience, but <laughs> I'm going to, I digress. Uh, audiences uh, will be distanced throughout the venue, seating the groups of uh, two to six people in clumps around the venue, as well as de uh, des designated restrooms. Concessions will not be available outside of complimentary water bottles, uh, which if you didn't know, Ryman is kind of like a movie theater in terms of like they sell concessions there. They sell like legit food at the Ryman. And you can like, I don't know if you can take, I don't think you can take it in like when you're watching a show. Yeah. But, like, you can eat there, you know? So that's kind of a, a big uh, money-making point for the venue. So here's the kicker. Ticket prices for McCreary begin at $89, which includes an exclusive poster, in-person access of artist Q&A before the show, and live stream tickets start at $10 with VIP upgrades available at $40 with virtual access to the Q&A and $95 to receive the poster signed. Wait, wait a second. So you're telling me... Wait, okay. Do you get a poster from the live stream thing just by itself? Because I just think that's... Can you imagine? So, this? okay. okay if so, you're at a show and they're like, do you want a sign poster for $55? Because <laughs> that's basically what it looks like. I mean, that's honestly how much it runs for, though. I to know, be honest, but like, but it's just like if you're a live stream person and you're there and you get a sign poster for $55 after the fact, I guess that's a little bit, you know, kind of like, oh, we actually like watched it and we felt like more like we were there because we got a poster and got yeah, to talk well, to my them. thing is like, there's a huge jump from $40 for the virtual access Q&A uh, to $95 just to receive a poster afterwards. To me, it seems like... And you're like, not even at the venue. To me, it seems like I I would charge more for the Q&A and then lower the price of the, you know, poster Well, people... Sign. Fans love... Fans love that shit, though. You know, like, they love posters. They love having a tangible thing it's that they true. can, like, frame and, you know, say that they did this. And this poster, I mean, it's probably going to be cool because it's, like, an experience. It's, like, the first thing You're right. the Ryman's ever put on. It is kind of like a one of, you know, the century kind of experience being like, oh, we saw this concert, you know, when the world was thrown upside down. So, yeah. like... Here it is. I don't I will, know. For I me, I'm old though, school, like, so like I just feel like I, I anytime I get anything like that, I just like the guy just signed it. Like I know this poster. Like at least with a shirt, I'm just like okay, the design's cool or whatever, and I can wear this multiple times. But with like a poster, I was like, oh, you just like printed it, and then what? This guy's signature is worth 
40 50 dollars i'm just like i personally wouldn't do it but no yeah. shame to anybody else i feel like signatures too like autographs and stuff have really depleted over the years i think people realize that it's just not yeah it's not really worth i mean they like are if you if you watch uh any like behind the scenes stuff or uh, if you've ever worked with artists and stuff you know when you're signing posters, like they're literally in the back room and they're just scribbling. They're just breaking for like, their wrists. Yeah, for like, for an like hour. 300 things. So like 300 other people are getting this autograph. It's not just the person, the one person who's like, oh yeah, I got right. a signed thing. So you know, so I, not to throw that off, but like I did do some like quick math while you were talking. Um, quick so, maths. Yeah, it's quick maths. Uh, <laughs> it's our new segment. Anyway, so 125 tickets sold for 125 people there is only five percent of the capacity of the ryman yeah compared to germany's one that we were just talking about in that arena that had 54,000 people and it was going to have 12,000 that would be 20 percent of the capacity yes so so there is a huge difference yeah there this is kind of you know obviously 125 people at a show is way different than 12,000 people but like percentage wise for the venue I mean, they have to operate, and I to kind of make sense now why these tickets are so high. They're running off of a five percent capacity limit, which before they would just stuff that thing. Exactly. I mean, they have to make. They're trying to make more money than the cost to put it on, and then you have to have all this live streaming stuff. That's expensive stuff. Live that streaming usually yeah. doesn't happen. All of the workers have to get tested prior. Yeah. Uh, and then you have to pay the artist. Like the there's the artist deal, you know, that comes well, out of the ticket price. So. It, well, I was going to say it depends on the company and what their requirements are. Is, did they say that the people had to get tested before? Yep. Okay, cool. So, like, if they got tested before, I mean, that's just... I, I, I guess if you were somebody hiring a crew, you could be like, there's no other shows, so will you just do this and so you have some work you know but yeah. at the same time like that's just more time and money that these people have to you know spend to get prepared for a show so you're seeing i mean they got to operate off of you know the cost of the crew the cost of all this extra equipment for live streaming and stuff like that and make it valuable enough off of five percent of the capacity which is just so low it's you know? very low and you know like a lot of the employees of the ryman have talked about like you know this isn't going to bring this isn't going to be the same it's not going to have the same feel it's not going to have the same effect but it's something it's starting I literally you know? i don't know if i'm like a musician musician in terms of like i'm a person that likes to perform in like it would be helpful for you improv you know right. improv well i'm talking about more of like improvisational you know like you're actually like playing a guitar or you're playing a piano or something there's 125 people there and you're used to 2000 i might just start talking to people in the audience like literally if i was like the singer i'd be like hey what's up man where are you from yeah <laughs> like, i mean i i think that's kind of the point of it too you know it's it it's is more intimate. of like an intimate session yeah. rather than like a full-blown concert but now like if you're in the front row or whatever and then there's like somebody separated way for like farther from you yeah i hope it's like that i hope it's not like 125 out of these like 2000 ish you know seats and you're all the way at the top yeah <laughs> you know and these empty seats which if you if you've never been to the ryman these seats are like they're pews basically that you're you're sitting in and like there's like two levels I, I feel sorry for the people, you know, they have all this space yeah, and they get, they get, get seated behind the pillars. Because I doubt, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, if there's a will, there's a way kind of thing. I mean, that's a degree of separation for separating the virus. So I'm sure there's people up there. You know, yeah. I don't think it's just empty up there. What do you think is who's going to buy these tickets? 
Um, I think this is a super fan kind of thing. Do you think you, it's a super fan and also an older fan? Um, I think it depends on your demo. That has I mean, the disposable I see income. here that you're mentioning that like an Old Crow Medicine show is supposed to play on the Yeah, 18th. Bright Young is on September 11th and Old Crow Medicine show is on okay, the Okay, Old 18th. Crow Medicine show has like as one of those bands that has a big big following so like i would not be surprised if they were like it's 200 dollars a ticket and but you get to be like alone basically with them with 100 people and yeah. i could see people paying for that i think it really depends on what kind of artist you are okay you know? um i think you know if you have that kind of following and you really i think the struggle with this is that you're gonna have to prove the value of this for the increase because these people got to go through a lot now. Uh, obviously at the same time they got to go through a lot, but again, these people are, you know, and the public is desperate to try to go to a concert. Mm -hmm. Um, so like there's some things they're going to go, okay, whatever, you know, I just want to go to a live event. I want to feel like it's normal, but at the same time, you're going to have a struggle with proving the value of this with all the stuff you're going to have to go through, you know? Yeah. You know, it's going to be annoying for people to be like, Oh, I can't bring this in. I got to go to a specific bathroom. You know, I can only bring like two to six people. So I, I hope these artists lean into like the intimacy of these performances a little bit, because that will, I think if you get that buzz going, and try to be like, oh man, it was like such an intimate thing. Like we felt like we were like one-on-one -on -one with McCreary or Old Crow Medicine Show. Then people are going to be willing to pay like, you know, a lot of money for it. But yeah. Like, but if it's time, if it's almost like you know a stage performance, if this is a like, stage performance again, but it has a bunch of restrictions on it and it blows, no, I'm not gonna, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, see, my thing too is like, you know, I. When I saw like for Scotty McCreary, he was eighty nine. Like I was like, damn, that's that's a lot for Scotty. Like not no shade at Scotty or anything, but it, it was just like, I I don't really see a lot of people being like, that's yes, I'm going to a Scotty McCreary concert. I'm right. gonna pay a hundred dollars for it. You know, like that's you would pay a hundred dollars in Nashville. Like when things were normal, you would pay a hundred dollars to go see like Taylor Swift. Right. Or something, you would you be know? in the concert of Taylor Swift at like I think I paid a stadium. Uh, I saw Kanye. I think I paid 90. That's what I'm saying. This is like when you first, what I call like big acts or like first year artists that like everybody knows $89 is like a base ticket amount to just get into those concerts. Yeah. So like that's a big deal because a lot of those have, you know, so many effects and, you know, very put together stage production and stuff and you feel like oh man i got in here for just 90 dollars awesome mm -hmm. but that's what i'm saying like i get it people are very very desperate to go to concerts again and stuff so i see them being like whatever mulligan i i, I don't care about this you know i don't care about that i have to only have two to six people i don't care that i can't bring my water in or whatever but at the same time it's like if you want this to continue and have longevity then you're gonna have to you know make this a big deal like for people that are there it's gonna have to i the my main takeaway is this isn't gonna have to just be a concession for the coronavirus this has to be like oh this was awesome even with the coronavirus happening yeah as opposed to like oh, i guess we got a show you know yeah i i will say too i think i think most people are saving money right now too so they can they might be able to like some people not all people but some people who are more privileged who who can afford this are willing to flex out the money to to divvy it out and like go to the I'd shows. be very curious how they do this in person access of artist Q&A before the I show. think it's literally 
uh, to be honest with you, I bet it's going to be before they're set. They're all going to be seated and they're going to come out. They're going to ask like questions for 20 minutes and then they're going to go into their set. That would make sense. Either that, like the only other way I can think about it is like if you had some way of doing it, like literally putting the band in a glass box, that's like the only other way I could think of doing yeah. it. Yeah, I'm wondering how openers are going to happen. Like are there going to be show openers for these or are they just going to, I guess the Q&A would take place of that. So yeah, I imagine that, see, that would be, see, that's an, that's a fun, intimate thing. I'm sorry. I missed this before because I guess I passed it over while I was doing my quick math, but that's like a fun, intimate. This isn't an addition because of the circumstances. This isn't just a concert. That's worse because of the circumstances. Yeah. And like, I, you know, it does kind of even out like when you do the full VIP for live That'd be fun to be that as. guy who takes the mic around to those people. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I, I wonder if they're even, maybe they'll just have them scream it out at them. Yeah. I don't know how that live stream is going to work, though, like in terms of, you know, are they going to film the crowd? Or okay, $10 like is not crazy. I would pay $10. Ten, to yeah, see. $10 is very reasonable for like an online live stream. Like if you think about it, it's like people pay to watch a live concert on like Netflix or something for like, you know, $10 essentially. Yeah. Because you pay $10 a month, but you do get more stuff. But like, if you only, like, if you really wanted to watch, you know, Beyonce's live concert from Coachella or something, you're paying at least $10. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would pay for an artist that I really believe in. You know, like, I, you know, like, I love Phoebe Bridgers. I'd pay $10 to watch a Phoebe Bridgers live stream. You know, now that I think about it too, uh, is that $95, I guess, with the poster sign? I guess that will cover shipping. Maybe that'll exactly. make it a that's exactly that's what I was gonna yeah. uh, talk about why it's more expensive, but um, it it still is a it's a bit ironic, you know. You're like yeah. paying more and you're, you're not there. You're paying worse. That, that's what I feel like. It's like you get a worse experience because you're not there. Like no offense, it's just gonna be worse unless they you're do not, some yeah, crazy you don't have live the energy. streaming. It's not the same unless they do some crazy live stream mixing or camera work in there that makes it really interesting. Then it's it being there is going to be so much different and for five dollars more you get a poster and a q a you know yeah so it's like whatever and then you know i i think i think these are kind of the steps in the right directions but it's definitely going to take some prototyping of this and i think each band is a little different like i'm saying like i you know if taylor swift is like i'm doing a concert and there's going to be 250 people here in this 5000 person venue people are going to pay $3000 for those tickets no yeah. lie they will pay $3000 for those tickets oh, 100% you know but like it's going to be very difficult for these if it gets enough these... publicity too i think it might get to that point this is low and that's the problem with this is like the sliding scale is going to get really rough here from middle tier to lower artist yeah i mean cuz no, it's it's going to be Either we're going to book the the top acts and we're just going to charge obscene amounts of money or it's going to be, you know, it's going to be middle tier, but it's going to be very volatile pricing. Yeah. So like, so it, it might affect their their fan base. I'm going to I'm going to be interested to see if one, they can maintain this while maintaining their business and two, how this gets prototyped to make it more of a value to the customer is my yeah. main thing. I think they're making some good stuff for the Q&A. Love that. Love the intimacy of it and stuff. And I think that's kind of what you have to do in this situation. And I've, I've talked about this with people, especially with like Zoom calls and stuff. Is like you have to use the pros of the internet rather than saying this is a replacement and now this is, you know, shittier than it was before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, moving on to our next topic, uh, let's talk about the VMAs. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I went from the thing of looking at the VMAs viewership. 
Uh, so this is from Variety, and in twenty the twenty twenty VMAs draw six point four million total viewers, and they score big on socials, which I'll talk about in a minute. So they were only five percent down from last year's viewership of six point eight million. Which I'll add, hey, in award shows, being not as down is not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and you know, award shows have been very struggling since like the internet has been taking hold of everything and especially with exclusivity of like where you can view it. But I think part of the thing with the VMAs and why they didn't go as down is because they weren't as exclusive and I'll get into that right now. So the show, which is usually on MTV, if you don't know, but they also simultaneously casted this on Viacom's 12 other brands at the same time. So the CM, so like this includes like CW for instance, Mm -hmm. and they note in the article, it scored 871,000 total viewers and a 0.2 rating among adults, 18 to 49. Now let me explain something. So 0.2% of basically means that, or a 0.2 rating means that 0.2% of 18 to 49 year olds in the United States were watching it from what I understand from my research. Um, also here's the other thing, which I thought was really interesting and I think should serve a lesson to a lot of the other award shows that try to basically keep a gated door on it because of their networks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Their 12 other brands in the simultaneously casting brought 871,000 people, which means that the show would have been down 19 to 18% from last year instead of five, which is a huge difference. You know, if you're in single percentiles, especially five and below, that's way easier to, you know, negotiate with and talk about it. But if you're 19 to 18%, that's rough, you know? you've lost one fifth of your viewership. So like just, I think personally, that's my hot take is that the more we can get other viewers into this, the better. And that kind of shows on social media because they did incredible to put it in, you know, the simplest terms. So they delivered a whopping 41.1 million impressions on social media, making it the second most socialized show of the year behind only the Super Bowl and only 7% behind that. Um, I'm going to link another article in here and I'm going to talk about it right now, uh, and talk about impressions versus reach. Uh, as I always joke with Joe, uh, social media always has this, like, everyone's always like, I'm a social media expert, but it's not a very like, uh, a professionalized job yet. Well, yeah. Well, okay. In terms of like, in terms of like the title, there's a lot of people who claim to be better than they are. Here's, here's (laughs) what the difference is, I guess. It's like. There are people that are really professional in it. And then there's everybody else that says I'm a social media expert. And so unlike, I don't know, like an accountant where you say, I'm a CPA, I have a CPA certification. Then you're like, okay, I'm really good. Other than like some bro that's like, dude, I know all the tax secrets. That's like kind of what the problem (laughs) is with like social media, like managers and stuff like that sometimes is that you just, there's no way of telling other than just you know, showing the numbers of the clients you work for, which is kind of like, that's kind of weird to say anyway to, so basically an impression, if you want to know is the number of times your content is displayed, no matter if it was clicked or not. So basically if I'll kind of give you an example of this. So one person could see the same post about the VMAs multiple times, and that adds to impressions. 
mm-hmm. opposed to the term reach, which means that counts the individual unique person that sees something. So like, let's pretend if Joe saw three articles about the VMAs, then he did three impressions for the VMAs, but he, the VMAs only reached one person. Yeah. Uh, so that's Oops, like a very me. important difference because sometimes people are like, you know, you hear these terms and social media marketing is still very new in the world of marketing. So like, they'll be like, we got 41 point million, 1 million impressions. And I was like, yeah, but some people, you know, if you're scrolling down Twitter and it's the night of the VMAs, you'll see like 12 different things about the VMAs. That's very different from reach. It's still impressive. You know, again, yeah. it's only behind the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl occurred pre Corona. So mm-hmm. like, it's impressive, but I think it's a clarification that needs to be made. Uh, yeah, I also think there's a couple of different factors in play with it. First off, every single social media, we all saw the VMAs if you're on social media, and it's because they're at, like they, they threw so many ads at us um, that that's, that's one thing, and that counts in terms of impressions for their, their calculations and stuff. Uh, so it's not just you know advertising from the artists who are performing and stuff like that. It's also all of the paid advertising there, that there they is posted a, and on there's social a big media. difference between people going like oh i love the vmas i'm going to share this clip from it to people just seeing it and scrolling being forced to see an ad yeah and then uh another thing i'd like to point out in terms of the vmas is that yes they had all this ad revenue and stuff like that but maybe people were paying a bit more attention because you know it's it's coronavirus people want to see live music again the vmas in a certain sense of the word is free I put that in quotations because you still need a cable package to view it and all that crap. But, um, or I guess they stream it in some but other platforms as well. At the same well, time, right? though, especially compared to you know other kind of content that's more gated, uh, you can still like these impressions and stuff are still counted through the clips. And I know a lot of people that don't watch the show, but they watch the clips. Yeah, they'll go on YouTube the day after and stuff and, and watch everything, which is what I do, which is what most. Honestly, Most music business do. professionals because do as just, well. It's very hard to get three hours of content, you know, or something. Yeah, like I mean, that. like people don't really. Honestly, award shows are kind of old school when it comes to just watching an award show on TV. And I think they're in a point where, and this is kind of why I brought up the viewing and stuff like that, and talked about how it was down. It's like I think award shows could be seeing and we've seen it in the last couple of years, kind of a change in like what their model is and like what they value. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. But uh, coming from that uh, regard in terms of like how well they've done online, um, this actually award shows still, even though we kind of dog on it a little bit, have an impact on artists and artist sales as well. So the weekend Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande lead sales gains post VMAs, according to Billboard, big sales leads from artists who performed on the VMAs. Blinding Lights by The Weeknd and Rain On Me by Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande both increased sales by 95% the day afterwards. So Blinding Lights received 5,000 downloads the day after the VMAs. These are all going to be like the day after. Are these like purchases, I'm assuming? Yeah, these are purchase downloads. These aren't just downloads off Spotify. So um, Blinding Lights, 5,000 downloads. Rain On Me, 3,000 downloads. Bloody Valentine by Machine Gun Kelly received 1,000 downloads, and more artists who performed throughout the night as well received more and more. So, songs performed during the awards saw leaps, and uh, all songs that received a Moon Person, which is the trophy uh, of MTV's VMAs, uh, during the VMAs sold a combined 
13,000 downloads the day after the awards, and all songs performed on the Brad on the broadcast totaled 36,000 downloads, which was the day. Uh, so, which was actually down apparently uh, before the the day before the award show, which was originally 52,000. But um, you know that's still kind of a big thing in terms of like it seems like the bigger artists are getting the more downloads, right? So, so the big winners. They're the ones who are receiving these downloads. You know, back in the day, <laughs> get my cane out. Uh, back in the day, 5,000 downloads was chump change for the top winner of the VNAs, right? Right. Like the weekend back 10 years ago, maybe maybe even less but, than that, seven years ago, it would have been 30,000 downloads, you know, or something like that. This is when people had a different idea of like buying music as opposed to streaming and stuff like that. Yeah. Too. So, and, and you know, like there is a huge difference too between buying a physical copy and downloading a song and purchasing both. So, like, like okay, think about how big of a deal, like, if somebody came up to you and said, I really like The Weeknd. I really like Blinding Lights. I really love like his newest music and stuff like that. And they were like, just like, yeah, I love streaming it off of Spotify. You're like, oh, okay. But then think about how big of a mega fan you think they are. If they're like, I bought their album. Yeah. <laughs> like how big of a difference that is now. Yeah. I mean, it's very rare. You know, um, I used to buy. Okay. So like you used to buy records too, right? Like you kind of sort of so like are you talking about cds or are we talking about like actual cds or vinyl okay so right? so you're buying a full album back in the day yeah when i was like you know elementary school middle school i used to literally fun story as i used to walk in the summer to a barnes and noble and i would buy cds because this <laughs> is when itunes was still a thing so if you you know itunes usually it's 99 cents a song so if you bought a record at it's you know a cd that was like 10 more than 10 songs and it was $10, then you save money. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, so I used to go there and I used to just browse through it and I buy CDs and I burn them. Mm -hmm. uh, now, obviously it's like you don't do that. And the only reason you do that most of the time is because you're either an audiophile of some sort or you, you know, there's a notion obviously, and it's partially true, partially not it depends on the deal that you're supporting the artist more directly. If you buy their things. Yeah. Uh, I will say too, in radio, they still use CDs uh, to burn because the the audio audio quality. Right, there's a big better. difference between a wave and a streamed song. Yeah, um, so there there is like a difference between audio quality, but the thing is, most fans, most music buyers, most music listeners do not care. We have gotten to the <laughs> so, point where it is you have to have part of a trained ear. To, to, to notice see the sometimes yeah um and like listen i get it there's probably you know people who listen to this podcast are mostly like audio music business people and you guys know but i'm talking about like let's think about you know your cousins or your parents or your friends that are in the music industry if you like literally did a one by one and you're like can you tell me what the difference between these two are it wouldn't know you know and yeah. sometimes everything's objective and there is a actual argument about the sound of streaming and like what people like to listen to in that terms like of frequency and dynamics because of streaming so like that could even be a cultural effect of how different it sounds now yeah well back to the award show um so if you saw did you ever when you were buying music at the time did you ever see a performer on an award show and you're like yes i'm gonna buy that person. yeah because 
you know, as you know, we always joke about now it's like Spotify and stuff and everything has tastemakers. What was the original tastemaker back in the day? Your radio DJ and these award shows. Yeah. And so there's still tastemakers for people. People watch this and they go, you know what? I really like this song actually. And they download it or buy it. It's less now. And the streaming numbers are going to be interesting too. And we'll see if this impacts billboard next week, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you though, that like this, the VMAs have award shows as much as I love shitting on them, which I always will. Uh, (laughs) but like they still are very impactful and they're a big deal to artists and brands, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially too, like this is why they've survived is because they still do have reach and they still have an impact on numbers. I mean, they're down 5%, but again, they're what they have 6.4 million people watching. This, yeah. So. Well, I'm also going to guarantee you those 5,000 streams, the or downloads the day after it's going to be better than the a million streams he had for a month. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, they're going to translate if, better. If you went to, you know, an artist and you said, Hey, I just need, you're going to have a fun thing. You're going to go to an award show and you get to, you know, have a fun time and see other artists and stuff like that. You're going to do a bang and do a performance that, you know, is choreographed and stuff. And it's going to up your sales and up your, you know, variety. They'd be like, hell yeah, why not? You know? Yeah. So, well, and people want to perform too, because of the publicity, the publicity is so good. Yeah. These award shows. It's, it's really good. And it's like a different, it's a culturally, it's a different kind of performance than you're used to. You know, it's like more of an artistic piece as opposed to, you know, like a regular performance. I'm not saying that it's not artistic. Yeah, it's like the Grammy it's, performer. It's like a too. Yeah, right? it's a little bit more artsy, I would say. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of the time. But yeah, a, it's it's one of its own. You're not going to see that same performance again on another show. Right. You right? would only see a performance like that in an award show. Exactly. Um, so, um, that's, here, see all of these things. They're they're there's a reason they're still around. Right. So it's just going to be interesting to see. Uh, like what happens down the road once COVID is over? Like, it, are these numbers going to remain the same for the VMAs? Or are they going to change? Yeah, because like honestly, I mean, we have more people at home, and they're ha- and they don't get to see you know more concerts now. So you could make the argument that they're up because of that. Yeah, because that kind of content is not available excessively in the United States in the world right now. Mm-hmm. So you can make the argument that, oh, they're only 5% down because people want that kind of concert-like performance that, that's live that they can't get anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so well, speaking you, of, uh, in terms of just like downloads or buying stuff. Yeah, so a- let's talk physical. Uh, let's get physical. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so basically, as we were talking about, again, downloading and buying things is such a big deal in terms of like, how much bigger of a deal and not out of place it is kind of in normal society versus streaming. But in during this pandemic, we've actually seen Discogs, which if you don't know, is like an online physical store seller. I would basically say it's like an, it's like physical, uh, media eBay, but for music. Yeah. It's kind of like Amazon, like eBay, but it's specifically for records. If you've ever used vinyl if, records, if you've right? ever, yeah, it's it's more akin to reverb, but like they also, and I'll talk about this, is that they specialize in physical media. So they're very much about records, but they're also about uh, CDs and cassettes, which Joe loves. I uh, don't even so, get me started. <laughs> and they also do digital files, actually, too. So oh, yeah? they pretty much do everything. Uh, 
actual music if you want to call digital so files physical the to them is is bandcamp right it's kind of like that i would say it's kind of like an ebay reverb bandcamp if you don't know what it is uh so basically they're up 30 percent in the pandemic which is in the business sense is huge so in the first half of 2020 they were up nearly 30 percent over the same period last year according to the company's mid report which was record high for the company so this is coming after obviously you're having the pandemic going on many physical record stores have closed since March or have very heavy restrictions on them about people coming in. So as Jeffrey Smith says, the Discogs director of communications and partnerships, we've been a lifeline for independent realtors for sure. And basically he adds that some record stores on the platform have given us word that without Discogs, they would definitely be hurting or quite possibly have to shut their doors. Hmm. So between January and June, Discogs facilitated nearly 4.3 million, uh, like basically buyers or purchases and 7.6 million pieces of physical music, an increase of 33, 33.83% over 2019. Um, so they, had an 18.77% increase in submissions for sales. So like people actually putting stuff on there, which can make sense. Cause you know, when people don't have jobs and also just because people have more time on their hands to interact with these websites, since they can't go outside, you might see people trying to get rid of stuff more, you know? So with Joe, here's for you. Cassette submissions up 21.74% CDs up 16.94% and vinyl up 16.55% over the time frame. Even digital files and other non-physical format submissions have been robust spiking 92% over the same period last year. Mm. So not just the pandemic, but a move on Discogs part has basically caused these increase in submissions or kind of just like post saying, would you like to buy this? So they waive fees for over 800 record stores on the platform and for new users. And by the end of April, Discogs had waived nearly $4 million in fees. Uh, Discogs claims in their report that they increase basically the increase in sales should lead to more buying in the long term because basically from a business side, they took an investment to have more users on the platform and to, for people to experience it by waiving the fees. So they're hoping that that will lead to, you know, more people on the platform, AKA more buying in the platform. So Smith adds though, quote, I don't think we're ever going to replace being a physical record store. There's so many things that you miss by not going into your local shop, being a part of the local community, talking to people that work there and know you well enough to turn you on to a new record. People that are into the physical format and collecting are in it because of these experiences. Although Smith believes record stores will start to shift more and more online. Quote, I think they're going to definitely look to increase their online footprint so they're so they're prepared for something like this in the future basically as i said good news for discogs yeah um so yeah uh you're seeing kind of like you know i think perfectly i think this is a incredibly smart move on discogs part especially the removing of fees yeah, because what they're trying to facilitate is so many people are online now and, you know, the physical format and the physical things in this world remind, in my opinion, remind people of, you know, the time before COVID. So I feel like that's part of the reason you're seeing these submissions other than people trying to make cash from, you know, these things they own if maybe they lost their job or don't know about the future. 
Uh, but like you're seeing kind of like, I think a nostalgic kind of trip trip for a lot of people to do, you know, mm. um, I will say too, like, um, you know, I kind of, sometimes I knock the vinyl thing, even though I, I myself, I used to buy a lot of vinyl and stuff. Um, mostly because a lot of people who, who do it, they're like, Oh, it's the audio quality is better. No, it's not. It's, it, it's proven. It's not better than, than some digital it's formats, different. but let, we're, let's go on another tangent. Um, but in terms of like, there is something about, you know, coming, get grabbing a drink, sitting down, putting your your record player on, like putting the needle on on the groove, you know, and like just listening to a full record like that. There is there is some sort of calming thing about it, you know. So I think having that, and then even with the other formats as well, like people downloading this stuff and yeah, yeah they're trying i think too people are trying to support their artists who are like you know in trouble right now and there's definitely again like i was saying earlier in the other story there's definitely a sentiment among the public that if you buy stuff physically that you're promoting the artist more which is true but again i just always want to put the asterisks on it it really depends on whatever deal they have in exactly place. because i mean it really like when at the end of the day merch like in terms of shirts and stuff like that is usually the way to go in terms of support. And it is generally, and it's generally correct to think that physical stuff will support the artist more. But I think like I'm saying there's, yeah, there's, there's some, an asterisk. A lot of the times, uh, record labels will take a huge chunk out of CDs. Yeah, through, so. yeah, especially through the thing known as the 360 deal, where basically a record label will put their hand in pretty much every re- revenue source that an artist can make. Um, it really depends on that. I think personally, you know, what's the most calming Joe is putting that pencil into the eye of the cassette and rewinding it. <laughs> and so it works again. Please stop. Can <laughs> we, okay. Can we all just agree never to use cassettes? Setting down your drink and getting oh, ready God, to rewind they a cassette. Suck. They're so, it went they suck. They sucked back then. They suck now. <laughs> like, so, you know, I'm again, like, I'm, I'm not going to get really into the big, you know, vinyl thing. If you want to, my quick take on it is that, like, I'm more of a historian when it comes to ooh, physical things. So, like, I like to listen to vinyl that's, like, more historical. Like, this was the way that it was produced, or this is, like, a first edition. This is the way people listen to it. It. back in the day i'm not really about like oh beyonce track yeah like beyonce put her record on vinyl like her new release i'd be like okay yeah but colin it's purple vinyl it's colored vinyl like, okay you have and there to definitely is there's a, and you know there's very different types of collectors i think there's audiophile collectors i think there's people who are more historical like me but i also think there's what i like to call kind of like vanity collectors yeah which are people that just like want to be like Oh man, I got this purple vinyl. Isn't it so cool, guys? And everyone's like, "Yeah, we're leaving. We'll see you later." Like, <laughs> I will say there there has been some color vinyl that's been really cool. Yeah, um, I mean, there, there the are artistry of it, that are cool, the artistry but. of it is cool. But like, I think what's not cool is to flex other people's art as like, "I own this. Isn't that cool?" Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, I think that Discogs facilitated this beautifully. I've good for them. I completely agree with uh smith basically saying that i think record stores are definitely going to look to increase their online footprint as uh he says and kind of invest in that platform more but i think he's realistic in saying that part of the reason that people like vinyl is going into the store and cassettes and cds and like talking to people and interacting with people because there's a community that's very vibrant in there that's definitely missing from a lot of collectors right now yeah for Um, sure 
And so, you know, that's kind of, I think the, one of the most interesting things though, is trading the digital files and other non-physical format, like on Discogs. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you have like some weird bootleg that got released on like, you know, like you have some stuff where it's like, this was like a Napster exclusive release back in the day and there's no way you can get this <laughs> file now. So I, you gotta pay <laughs> download me. it. It's just as shredded as it was. Yeah. When it was on Napster. So it's like, I, I think, wait, is it peer to peer? sharing so you trade right i believe you trade the license so like what you're saying is like i lose so when you get a record or a cd right you basically you bought the physical thing but you're also buying the right to use this you know derivative work as if we're going to go copyright you know and have the license to use it in so, my car. In my car or <laughs> in my by Prius. yourself. Again, you can't, and then you're going to get in the whole PRO thing of like, you can't just like play it in front of 800,000 people. It was for your personal use. So <laughs> you're telling me I can't get my Prius on a stage and blast the video. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, you can. I'm telling you, you shouldn't. Uh, anyway, so like, I think that's how these work. I, I'm guessing is that if you have a digital file, like you would a CD, you have a license to use that for your personal use. And so what they're doing is transferring the digital file and therefore the license to the digital file. That just seems like a lot. I'm not going to lie. Like when, wouldn't it be easier just to go to Bandcamp and then just download the MP3? So here's the thing. I mean, and this is kind of an issue with a lot of the early digital formats is that there is a lot of things in the, you know, as we move from analog to digital and entirely media that are like, people are trying to document because there's just nowhere else to get it. Yeah. So like what I'm saying is like, for instance, let's talk about Bandcamp. If you had a Bandcamp download, let's say you bought it and then the guy, you know, it's the same kind of deal. You buy the file, you get the license, you're able to use and listen to the file for your own personal use. But then let's say the guy's like, I'm done with music, takes everything down. You can't get a copy of that file anymore. There's no way. Then like you're one of the few people that have this file. And if there's other people that are interested in listening to that music and you can't find it anywhere else, it has a value to it. So you could, you know, go like, okay. Hey man, I have this, you know, I, it, I, it makes more sense if you think about like bootleg recordings or something like that, where it's like, I have this, like, you know, the joke fish thing where it's like, I have this 1994 performance of fish at, you know, uh, red random place. Yeah. At red rocks <laughs> and you can't get it anywhere else. Do you want to buy the file from me and the license? And then you can listen to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, and it's very true with video games actually, is there's a lot of stuff that like they, you just can't find the copies of them anymore, even though, you know, because they're not produced anymore or just because somebody isn't putting it on a website anymore. Yeah. So like, I think that's going to be important in the future. So that's why I thought it was interesting with the 92% is because you're seeing kind of like, I think it's a, it's a testament to kind of how consumer habits are realizing that some of this, some of these digital things, because, you know, everyone's like the, the internet is infinite. It's everything's always everywhere. It, it can get lost. Things can get lost like that and they have value. Yeah. Um, okay. That makes more sense then in terms of if it's nowhere else. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, because that, and that's kind of what it is and you're trading the license over. It's it's confusing. I'm not going to lie to you. It's confusing. But yeah. like, that's just kind of what it is. I do um, remember Discogs having the problem of, of bootleg stuff on there. Right. Like I mean, leaks, there's a difference between out on there. There's a difference between you have a license for something and then you did this illegally. So there was no license in place and you're just transferring, you know, something yeah. that wasn't even meant to exist. Uh, so, yeah, um, something that I really wish didn't exist is this next story. 
Um, yeah, so um, we're actually going to get into the film world a little bit in terms of... Like, but, you know, it's it's the thing for every crew everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, crew death re- uh, renews concerns over film uh, set safety amongst uh, COVID-19. So this is by the LA Times, and it seems like it's mostly... I haven't seen it much anywhere else, um, but a Texas-based director named John Nolan, who worked on uh, The Paper Tigers and Ellie's Finest, has died of COVID after weeks of fighting the virus. Nolan worked on a commercial production, which seemed to be where he contracted the virus. The commercial production was for um, uh, Farmers Insurance. Uh, The commercials, which have smaller crews and shorter work times, don't require COVID-19 testing under local health orders or industry guidelines. And this is based in Texas is where this commercial is being shot. Um, Nolan's death has sparked controversy among the film industry with whether or not shoots should continue during lockdown as well as increasing regulation when it comes to testing, especially in the commercial industry. Mm -hmm. So many film workers are conflicted because of their desperate needs for income as well as the risk that they may have, uh, that they may take stepping, stepping onto the set. So uh, farmer's insurance, I meant State Farm, sorry, uh, which I guess is the same thing maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, this is a shorter story, but it's something that needs to be discussed in terms of, you know, this isn't just the film industry. This is a real concern for anybody who works any type of production. Yeah, exactly. And I've had uh, experience, especially during COVID, of working on music videos uh, and stuff. And we have tried our best to keep crews small. We have tried our best to, um, you know, have everybody wearing masks at some point. You know, like it's really hard to regulate. I-, I will say I'm not trying to play devil's advocate here. It is hard to regulate when you're trying to get a project done. Right. I mean, you, you know, you and don't you're delegating to, work and you're trying to get all this stuff. You're juggling a million things a minute. Nobody who hires you wants their product that you're making to be detrimental, you know, like hurt and not up to quality because of this COVID thing. And it's really rough capitalism business at work here. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean, standards are still very high, even though things are moving much slower yeah. nobody, now with COVID. Nobody wants, you know, none of these companies are going to pay these people, like specifically in this ex- example, like if you were making a commercial for like Mazda or something, nobody's going to be like, oh yeah, our commercial is shitty, but like, you know, COVID stuff, so it made it harder. Like nobody's going to put up with that. Yeah. And same thing people with like an artist. People are judge it just as hard. So it's... And same thing with an artist and a record label. They're not going to put up with you being like, hey, you know, we just, we didn't have enough time to do this. We, but you know, like if something happened, it's like some guy was coughing on set. So we thought, let's just disband it clean it and then we ran out of time you know yeah so it's it's important uh it's unfortunate that this happened uh to this guy but um especially he was only like 51 years old or something he was he was fairly young um but you know that's something to something that we need to discuss in the industry in terms of keeping our sets safe making sure people are getting testing making sure that you know everyone's wearing a mask Uh, It's a regulation thing that like we haven't seen in like terms of like, and if you know you have it, do not show up, do not show up because that puts everyone else's life in danger. No one will judge you if you go, Hey, I think I have COVID. I'm not going to come. Yeah. And I, I, the, the roughest part about this is because, you know, these kind of film sets and then like music videos and, you know, just like we're talking about smash mouth, the other episode, like 
they're fewer and far between now because of, you know, capital and also just the virus existing. So some people just do, you know, a dumb decision and they go, I need the money. And then they just go and they're sick and it's wrong. You know, I also think in America, um, our, our testing ways are bad. Like I, I don't think you can go and get a test, even if you are not showing symptoms right now. Oh, and they're definitely not equal and stuff like that yeah. wherever but you go. You should test if you're going to work on something. You should try to at least. I know? think I think for a lot of people that I think everyone should try to their best ability to lower, you know, the chance of COVID happening. And that comes down to having smaller crews uh, and to having an expectation among your crew members that you guys tried to isolate as best as you can. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, is that like, if you're, you know, maybe a director or something like that, or somebody who works, you know, as a gaffer or like one of these other positions that can be hopping from place to place. I mean, you got to think about it like this. I mean, you could have like a, you know, this with like our, one of our best friends, uh, works as like a post-production on-site sound guy. And, uh, I mean, he could go from one set and that's 15 people or something like that and then go to another. So like you could have a potential where this guy's asymptomatic and like you're just going to shut down all these, you know, sets by getting people sick and like hurt people from death to like physically, you know, hurting their lives for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And most 80% of the people working on those sets are freelancers. They're going to. They're going to move from place from to place. To it's not like... And things are picking up, at least here in Nashville. You know, at least with a co-worker, you know, obviously the industry is small, quote unquote, if you've ever heard that thing where like you'll run into the same people all the time. Mm-hmm. But unlike a company, like if you worked in a store or something, you're interacting with the same people every day as opposed to this this could be even worse because you're going from one small group to another small group and you're just upping your chances you know yeah and so i think it's good i think i would like to see i mean i don't do this kind of stuff joe does a lot but like if i was a crew member and stuff like that of like a set or anything like that I would like the expectation that we're all in this together. We all know the risk. We're all trying to minimize it. And we're all going to try to have small people, you know, a small amount of people here. We're going to try not to go out to a bunch of random places that we don't need to go to. Mm -hmm. And we're all going to, you know, work on not trying to, you know, spread this through our industry because obviously the work's light for a lot, you know, for some people. And so the worst thing that can get there, you know, is that other people get sick from it. (laughs) Yeah, I will say for personally, I try my best to hire crew members that I know are self-isolating and that are, you know, being responsible with it. Um, And I do try, you know, to make sure people are wearing masks. I wish they're, you know, you know, it's it's difficult sometimes when you're working in a closed space to and and if a lot of these like times like commercial shoots are different but uh for music videos and stuff they'll be like 12 hour days right and then there's like you know there can be power imbalance issues you know yeah. in terms and if of you're like, outside too in the heat and right. stuff like that you know like it's all factors but it's just something that everyone needs to be aware of be aware of the risks be aware of the um safety of your crew and of your artists and blah 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 you know so especially if you're busy working individual, cause you could be exposing, you know, a bunch of people that you, in little groups, you could be exposing a bunch of people to, you know, this disease. If you're going from place to place to place. Yeah. I would honestly, I wish there was a way, you know, I, I think there j- should definitely be 
almost like a more of a social movement and also just regulation, you know, in terms of music videos where I'd like to see if, you know, I, I would love if, if it was like normal where people are like, yeah, you guys shouldn't work with that guy. Cause he goes out every night and tries to, you know, there is some of that, um, on the, on the underground but um in terms of nashville there's no union here right and that's the other thing too is like unions could have a big deal especially on the western side of the united states yes and having regulation and i've seen some union regulations with it but like it can be very different from union to union and stuff like that so and again they if you're in a union i mean you get hired only on union things so like i guess in some in some capacity, it could be a little bit better because you're required. You're only working with people that hire unions, so that's kind of like the the shop metaphor. Yeah, I said, which nobody in Nashville hires. No, there's union. no unions in Nashville. If yeah. you did not know that, uh, so. and so like, yeah, uh, it's going to be very concerning, and I think it's just going to come down to more of a social standard among the people who hire crews and the crew members about like you know, knowing what's acceptable and everything like that and holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel sorry for this man's loss and everything. And, you know, there's, this is, you know, the bad side of it. I mean, obviously and for me, it hurts a little bit more than sometimes because like when you get it in real perspective that like, Oh yeah, I could have been on a set like this doing some audio thing and like I could have died or someone I knew could die. You know, it really puts it in perspective as opposed to just numbers on a board somewhere. Yeah. So, for yeah. Sure. Point is, wear your mask. Uh, 100%. <laughs> wear 100% on the mask uh, wearing train. Yep. But, uh, Colin, what you've been listening to this week? Okay. So, <laughs> I've been... Yeah, I, that was a fun break. Okay. So, basically, I've been listening to... I'll give you two. One, I just want to make sure I might have said it before on this, but I don't... It's just so good. I like it. Uh, but the first one, which I'll talk about as I look it up is local H, which I've shown Joe a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so local H, if you don't know, is like a nineties gold record band. Uh, they're not like super big, but they're not super small. And I really like them. They are basically, it's this guy named, I, I can't remember his last name, but his name's Scott and he's the main singer and he's a guitarist. And then he has a drummer. It's like a white stripe scenario, but they were doing it before that where it's just two people. And he has like, it's so cool. He has, I've looked up a couple of rig rundowns of his stuff, but like he'll have a guitar and it'll be like a strat. And then like, uh, it'll have like an SG pickup in it. But then the last two strings have like a P bass pickup on the last two strings and a separate output jack. And mm. it'll go to like a bass amp. So he basically has like bass on his only two strings and stuff. Super like, heavy kind of grungy as me and joe are joking about it's like it's it's not really like teen angst it's like it's, 20s it's angst. my record label screwed me over angst yeah it's like <laughs> 20s angst yeah is what i like to call it so like i mean this we live in a weird time so if you want to get some angst out i definitely recommend uh them i really like they had like two really big songs one is called uh joe likes this song high fiver high five high fiving mfr which is this motherfucker and it's just like very (laughs) it's very vulgar but it's like it's like a little bit truthful in terms of like you're like yeah fuck this guy whoever he's talking about (laughs) and then uh (laughs) the one that was big for them really was called bound for the floor which is like really good uh it has a bunch of very flowery language in it which i'm always about uh they use this term called copacetic which i like a lot Mm -hmm. and then uh they it's all from this album i actually listened to it on the run that i took today and it it's basically 
oh man, I'm trying to look it up right now. But like uh, the album is, it's all from the same album. It's from like the mid nineties. It's kind of like if you mix more of like a Pearl Jam and a Nirvana together. Yeah. Um, and then Joe, what have you been listening to? I look up this other thing. Um, I've been listening to uh, Death Bells uh, from, I think they're out of uh, Australia. I'm pretty sure. Um, I, you know, I get a lot of UK, Australia, New Zealand people. Um, right, mate. In my, in my queue recently, but um, they're great. They sound like The Cure, so I'm kind of all about it, you know. I've been listening a lot to Tame Impala's The Slow Rush album, the new one. Um, I think that record might be his best. I really like uh, Breathe Deep off of that. Yeah, album. Breathe Deeper. It's like my favorite yeah, song. Yeah. Um, that's such a good song. But like, there's there's honestly a lot of bangers on that record. I think it's a lot more uh, like truthful to like the craziness of Tame Impala because like the first, what was the big album that they had in 2013? Uh, Currents. Currents. I was, that was I, their like breakthrough mainstream I was gonna call, album. I don't know why I was going to call it. They Ripples. had like a couple. Yeah, they had. Uh, they had records before that, that one feels like a lot like the record label like you know like somebody was there it's like you got to put this in a box and you got to make it nice and wrap the bow on this you know yeah but then this one feels like a lot more organic i would yeah, say it, it feels more like him you know like yeah he, he, it just feels more genuine to like the lyrics and and stuff it just like, feels like you're listening to it and you're like yeah i kind of like how this is a little weird you know yeah um i've been listening to beach house as well i you know, i'm on my depression kick you know <laughs> like the depression playlist mm-hmm. kick um and uh i've been listening to a lot of temples as well so kind of throwbacks to some of these artists that i i just loved yeah. in high school um i feel like the nostalgia trip for me is kicking in too with covid and everything you know uh, so. a one and i i'm usually not the one to be like oh this little you know artist that nobody's heard of but like i actually had one for once so everybody that's like i listen to old music only this is for you anyway uh i've been listening to uh this i showed joe this song but it's called naked and it's by florence armand and oh I, yeah yeah it's really good she's like european i think she's from like either iceland or finland or something like that but uh she's like really good the music video is really fun because it's like it's like all a metaphor about like how she let somebody see her naked you know and actually like get into like her you know mind and personality and really connect with her and then they like screwed them but the yeah. music video is really fun because it's literally just her putting on mountains of clothes yeah she like layers clothes <laughs> yeah. on it's so, so fun it's yeah but she's like a very small artist and i was like oh man joe's always the one who finds it and i was like now it's time for collins rain on this <laughs> uh not in collins small. the taste maker now collins the taste maker now anyway uh collins the taste maker for old stuff uh but I also was listening to, uh, and me and Joe have worked with him a couple times, actually, uh, our friend Briston Maroney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really like He came the, out with his new single. Yeah, I really like that Deep Sea Diver song. It's very good. Um, I think it's very different from his other stuff, and the production on it is very good. I don't know who the engineer or the producer was, but it was like a step up, in my opinion. Yeah. Hey, a uh, uh, little Briston trivia for you. Uh, he used to be in a folk band. Uh, oh i know it was a subtle clutch yeah uh yeah my girlfriend used to go see him in knoxville (laughs) which i think is hilarious knoxville legend well (laughs) that show does baby 
Thank you for listening to the That Show Biz Baby podcast, your all things music, business, and media podcast. You can follow us on our Twitter at Showbiz Baby Pod, Facebook and Instagram at That Showbiz Baby Podcast, and email That Showbiz Baby Podcast at gmail.com for all your questions, concerns, and the like. So, we've been working on our B side series, which we put on our social media, which are articles that don't make it into the regular show. And also, we'll be prototyping our deep dive series this month or the next, which follows uh, one topic all the way in depth in addition to our weekly episodes. So, stay tuned on our social media for updates on that and B sides. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope. Hope to see you again.